Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Howdy, junkies. I am deep in the weeds writing the first draft of Ant Snibbin. That is the running gag title for my new novel because I'm under NDA and I can't tell you what the novel is about. Yes, really. That's an actual true fact. Ant Snibbin is an acronym for awesome novel that shall not yet be named. I'm aiming for 80,000 words in this or 320 pages and I'm currently at 17,006 so almost a quarter of the way done. It's coming along pretty well. I have a detailed outline. I spent a lot of time on the outline, and I'm writing directly to that. As usual, those of you who follow me for a long time know that when I write these detailed outlines and I start writing the book, there are always deviations from the outline. It's to be expected. But so far, those have been very minor. It really hasn't been that bad. I'm very sticking very close to the original outline. And I think I am now done with Act 1. So moving on to the rest of the story. And while I can't tell you what the book is about, I can tell you that it is mega mecha violent. I'm doing some stuff in this book that I have never done before as far as levels of violence go. And it's, uh, it's pretty disturbing, frankly. A lot of blood in those first 70 pages I have done. And it's just the warm up. There is so much carnage coming down the pipe. I need to bust out the old thesaurus to describe the damage. So here we go with episode number 20 of Slay. Let me get you caught up on the story so far. Then we're all going to go look up new ways to say murder, decapitation, and evisceration. Previously on Slay. Lincoln still has serious debts. He owes Bengals a hell of a lot of gold. More important and far more pressing... Lincoln has to start making payments on his contract with Callista, or she will stop protecting Lincoln's son, Sam, in the purgatory known as The Shelf. Lincoln also needs to find out why his friend Dylan Cantrell did not pay the gold that was supposed to be handed to Bingles. And Lincoln has to track down a very big lizard somewhere in Wyoming. And now, episode 20 of Slay. The sound of circular saws, banging hammers, and a rumble of what Billy thought might be a cement mixer echoed through the place. Workmen outside, or two floors down in the basement, chattered away, their words dulled by distance and the old stone church's walls. Billy had grown up poor. No doubt about that. Until Billy started to work at the age of 15 or so, Grandma brought in the only money, and not much of it enough to keep them in the apartment, to keep food on the table, and Kellogg's Frosted Flakes in the cupboard. Or, more often, Carney's Frosted Flakes, the local Lumencia grocery chain's knockoff brand. But while Grandma hadn't brought in stacks upon stacks, she had kept their place tidy and neat. Their neighbor crackheads, though, not so much with the tidy and neat. Those apartments had looked a lot like this old office. Once upon a time, this room had probably been fancy AF. Bookshelves, now empty. Big leather chairs, now ratty and torn. A big wooden desk, now chipped and splintered from years 
or decades of misuse. Peeling wallpaper, water stains in the ceiling, tools, rags, plastic bottles, and other gear overflowed from open desk drawers. Atop the desk, parts of the nastiest-looking rifle Billy had ever seen, and a couple of vials of pills, and a fifth of Jack Daniels, now only a fifth left. A fifth of a fifth. Did that make it a 25th? Clutter, booze, drugs, and trash. Fast food wrappers. A pizza box. A waste basket overflowing with crumpled, blood-stained paper towels. Apparently, the beer pong table wasn't the only place Magda worked on Lincoln's wounds. I see you don't clean up much in here, Mags, Billy said. Magda was half-bent over the old-timey desk. Pretty much everything in this place was old-timey in one way or another. At the word, Mags, she stood straight, turned slightly, flipped the weird, blocky magnification goggles from her eyes to her forehead, and glared at Billy. Mags, is it? You think you're that familiar with me? Billy shrugged. If you're going to call me Lil Peen, I'm going to call you Mags. She grinned a half-grin, maybe because those scars in her face had cut deep enough to slice her smiling muscles. Both her eyes worked fine, though, and they gleamed with mischievous delight. I feel so insulted, she said. You really put me in my place, Lil Peen. Magda flipped the goggles down. She lifted half of the rifle, the part she had called the upper. It looked heavy. She set it atop the part she had called, obviously, the lower. She pulled that bolt thingy back, the upper and lower half locked together. Each half had looked huge all by itself. As a whole, the rifle had to be four feet long. Damn, Billy said. That thing's almost bigger than I am. Magda slid a metal pin into the butt end, then another up closer to the front. 48 steel hard inches. Magda ran a cloth over the rifle. Long and strong and down to get the friction on. She was quoting a golden oldie from the last century. Billy had heard the song, of course, but didn't think that Sir Fuxalot, or whatever his name had been, intended for his song to be used to describe this scary-looking piece of death. Well, the scariest-looking he'd seen if he didn't count the Jerboas, or the Flechette sisters, or Pragman and his Crocobear. But those were living things. Fucked up living things, or maybe undead things, he wasn't sure, but still, things that had moved and acted on their own. This overcompensating rifle that was so phallic it should have had a tribal tattoo and its own red sports car, though? Not a living thing. What's this thing called again? A Barrett M82, Magda said. Some call it the Light 50. I call it the Ding Dong Big Schlong. Uh, why do you call it that? Because when you hear it ring the doorbell, you're about to get fucked. Ding dong, big schlong. Coin that phrase. This woman was so odd. You can't coin your own phrase, Billy said. I don't think that's how it works. I didn't coin it, Magda said. I told you to coin it. So get to getting. She was odd, yes. 
but he felt safe around her. He didn't know why. He didn't want to go near Ariella, and he didn't trust that psycho Lincoln one damn bit, but he felt safe around Magda. And around Dragon, too. But that didn't make any sense. What could the tiny dog protect him from? An even tinier cat? Billy heard loud voices approaching. Lincoln and Ariella arguing. This bitch! Magda flipped up her goggles. Her mouth is on cruise control and the brake line's been cut. Billy stepped around the desk, put it and Magda between him and the door. Lincoln walked in, carrying a curved chunk of his dull gray armor. I'm sick of this shit, he said over his shoulder. I go to sleep for five goddamn hours and you order more work done? The fucking saws woke me up. You're a goddamn guest here, Ariella, not the boss. He tossed the piece of armor on the desk's last workbench. Mags, it's still poking me in the lower back where Pragman shot me. Can you fix it before I head out? Magda raised one eyebrow, smiled her half-smile at Billy. Yeah, Link, she said. Good old Mags can fix it for you. Billy's meant-to-be-insulting name happened to be what Lincoln called her all the time. Well, damn. Oh, I'm a guest? Ariella walked through the door after Link. Then work on your hospitality because you don't make guests stay in a pigsty. I got a great deal on the new round of fixes. But don't you care about money? Lincoln turned on her, his pointed finger almost at her nose. What I care about, Ariella, is debt, which you have us in again right after Billy's cash bailed us out. Kill the wyvern in Wyoming and we'll be fine, Ariella said. You put its head in a rune box, you take the box to the clearinghouse, you get Herondel's bracelet as payment for the contract, you bring it right back here. No side trips. We make the first installment to Callista. What could be easier? What could be easier? Right. Lincoln grabbed the fifth of Jack from the table. I gather you never hunted a wyvern. He drained the bottle like it was room temperature water. Hey, Magda said, that was my dinner. Lincoln gave her a tired glare that said, not you too, and tossed the bottle into the wastebasket full of bloody paper towels. After the clearinghouse, I'm going to go find Dylan, Lincoln said. I need to take care of that while I'm already in Cordis. He's not responding to calls or summons. I'm going to take a chunk out of his ass for not paying bingles. Magda pulled the piece of armor closer, flipped down her goggles. About damn time, she said. Dylan's a prick. I don't like him. You don't like anyone, Lincoln said. Oh, hey, is the ding-dong big schlong ready? Magda flipped up her goggles. Does a Catholic priest get a robe tent for choir boys? She flipped them down again. Lopine, let me show you how to fix dents in Link's armor. Ariella threw up her hands. He's a freaking contract muck. You're not going to try and show this idiot meshwork, are you? Without looking up from the armor, Magda pointed to the door. G-T-F-O, she said. I got work to do. Ariella glared, huffed, and then stormed out. Her steps so intentionally loud, they overpowered even the cement mixer's rumble. Lincoln picked up the Barrett. You're a fine lass, aren't you? 
he said, as if the weapon were a beloved pet. Aren't you a fine lass? You're going to make daddy's work easy as pie. You're such a good girl. He walked out, the obnoxiously long rifle cradled in his arms. Magda tapped the armor. This is the backplate, she said. Now pay attention while I show you how to work with this material. Maybe you can earn your keep around here. I just contributed ten grand to the cause, Billy said. Don't that count? Pennies on the dollar. Now, watch. I'm going to light this puppy up and we'll fix that last bit of dent. Asias ostendre industria. As Billy watched, the backplate began to glow. And in that glow, he saw little lines, almost like strands of fabric or something, gleaming gemstone yellow and strawberry soda red, and hunter's orange and a deep, cool violet. First things first, Magda said. I had to tweak the meshwork before I can adjust the metal. Now pay attention. Mesmerized, Billy did just that. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. On a remote island in frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Lincoln stepped out of the men's room, glanced up and down the hall. No one there. The old main building on the campus of the University of Wyoming. Admin building now, apparently, and as such, no one was around at 3.30 in the morning. He burned thread work as he headed for the exit. Instead of a cloaked, armored rixator carrying a gun case in one hand and a bird carrier in the other, anyone who laid eyes on him would see a stereotypical college professor in a tweed coat with patches on the elbows, carrying a pop-up projection screen in one hand and a projector in the other. The disguise wouldn't stand up to close scrutiny, but at this time of the morning, that likely wouldn't be an issue. As for the security cameras, they would record nothing at all. Lincoln found the exit and walked out into the snow and cold, moving quickly but not running. The old adage of, if you look like you belong here, no one notices, held true far more often than not. He hadn't seen stars like this in a long time. 
blazing pinpricks scattered thickly against the endless black. The sky didn't look like this in Lumencia. That was ironic, considering that it was once known as the American City of Light. He walked to Ivinson Avenue, saw the battered blue pickup truck he'd been told would be waiting for him. He tossed the Barrett case in the back, set the birdcage down gently in there as well. Shitbird was sleeping. Would be for another few hours, thanks to the half-bag of three-month-old Cheez-Its Lincoln had given the crow for dinner. He opened the passenger door and got in. The driver eyed him. And what are you supposed to be? Lincoln shut the door. The driver was so tall, the loose threads of her blonde hair bent against the cab ceiling. She wore a heavy Carhartt jacket. Country music played quietly from the radio. This is the university, Lincoln said. I'm a professor, obviously. The driver laughed, the sound as deep as her voice. She guided the truck out of the parking lot. Maybe that passes for a professor in New England, she said, but not here. Do New England professors smell like a distillery? Because I hope that's just a part of the costume. Lincoln could smell a tinge of whiskey, which meant he probably reeked of the stuff. He should have had a Tic Tac or something. We got about a two-hour drive ahead of us, the woman said. Afraid I can't afford a magic carpet ride or anything like that. Times are tough on my property. What, with the wyvern and all? Lincoln cringed inside. She was going to give him some sob story to get out of paying. He could just tell. You can't afford, he said. The contract was put out by Stephen Snodgrass. He her husband or brother or something? Neither. I go by Svetlana now. Stephen is my dead name. You think it's hard changing your gender in America? Try getting the Cordis Registry to figure that out. Whatever passes for a computer there is probably a thousand-year-old papyrus scroll or something. Lincoln huffed in agreement. For all he knew, Stephen had been Svetlana for a decade or more. Cordis wasn't the most efficient place in the patchwork. Hell, the census rolls probably still had him listed as an active rixator. I'm tired, Lincoln said. You mind if I get some sleep along the way? Svetlana shrugged. If that helps you stay sharp enough to get that winged demon off my land, you do you. Lincoln slucked down in the seat and closed his eyes. With all that construction racket, he hadn't slept for shit. What was Ariella thinking? And for that matter, what was Lincoln thinking by going into business with her? The most powerful criminal in Lumencia wanted the woman dead. How was he supposed to have known Ariella was a spendthrift and a control freak? How was he supposed to have known her domineering attitude made her think she ran everything? How was he supposed to have known? Maybe by asking around. Maybe by talking to Ariella for more than 30 minutes before signing on with her. Which, of course, he had not done. Because it had not occurred to him to do so. Hadn't crossed his mind at all. Blame it on the bastion. They taught him how to kill. Everything else, from meals to lodging to training, they'd provided for him so he could spend all of his mental energy on becoming a better fighter, a better rixator. 
They had turned him into a weapon and taught him nothing else. He was a sword without a scabbard, his lethal edge always out in the open. When it came to things like interacting with people and building relationships, hell, even buying groceries, he didn't know his ass from a burned biscuit. He fell asleep for a bit, woke up, took in the view. They were already clear of Laramie. Beautiful country. No buildings, blazing stars, and the moon staring down at him with a welcoming wink. He hadn't figured out what to do about Dante yet. Magda and Ariella both thought Dante wanted to move in on Callista's turf, and he was using the Billy contract to recruit high-level operatives. It was smart, to be honest. Bounty hunters chasing a contract in Lumencia wouldn't draw much concern from Callista. They had a blank check to operate in the city, getting to know the place, gaining an understanding on who controlled what. When the time came to make a move, Dante would have people who knew the local turf. He had zero chance of openly recruiting operatives who lived in Lumencia because all of them, Lincoln included, did not want to risk Callista finding out. It created a complicated equation. Dante wanted Billy dead, which meant Lincoln wanted Dante dead. But Dante possibly wanted Callista dead. And so did Lincoln. Lincoln didn't have the first clue of what to do next. He woke suddenly, not realizing he had snoozed off again. Looked out the passenger window to see the beginning of a stunning sunrise, obscured by nothing save for a few low mountains to the east. Good morning, sunshine, Svetlana said. You snore like a bull with a deviated septum and another bull's cock up its nose. Your lovers must adore you for that. Lincoln laughed. Amanda had said something similar, although not quite in such a crass way. He missed her. He missed her so. But time to push those thoughts away and focus on the business at hand. Where do you think the wyvern came from? Svetlana shrugged. Who knows? The bastards are all over the patchwork, last I heard. I don't care where it came from. I care where it goes. As in, away. It's eaten half my damn herd, I swear. I'm on the edge of bankruptcy. She's talking about money again. Maybe she wouldn't try to make this job a freebie. He could always hope. How many contractors have come out for this? You're the third, Svetlana said. The first two got themselves eaten. Well, wasn't that just a lovely slice of good news? You know where it nests? If I did, it would be dead, Svetlana said. What I do know is it likes to strike at dusk, flies in low, picks off my cattle. Why don't you keep him in the barn, then? Svetlana gave him a sidelong glance. You don't know much about ranching, mister, she said. Takes days to round them all up and get them into one place. Not to say I didn't try just that, but you'll see the results soon enough. We're almost there. As the sun continued to rise, she turned down a well-packed dirt road. Fifteen minutes later, they pulled up to a farmhouse spread complete with three silos, two outbuildings, and one big-ass pole barn. A big-ass pole barn with a hole the size of a Mack truck ripped out of the roof. 
Svetlana stopped the truck next to the house. I got extra rooms, she said. You want to rest up some more first? I'll get you some breakfast. Lincoln still had a belly full of booze. He didn't feel like eating. No, thanks. I'll get to work. I need a couple of things from you. Svetlana nodded. Like what? A vehicle, Lincoln said. And some blankets. And a tent if you got one. Above all, though, I need three head of cattle. You have been listening to Slay, created and read by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. For more information on the author and more books, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Superweapon. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. 